This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, online at reformedforum.org. This is Christ the Center, episode number 109. Today we speak with Tim Whitmer about shepherding ministry. Christ the Center is listener-supported, and we thank everyone who helps to make this program possible. To read more about how you can contribute, please visit reformedforum.org slash donate. Welcome to Christ the Center, Doctrine for Life. This is episode number 109. My name is Camden Busey. I have with me Jason Pickard. We're pleased to welcome him back. He is an MDiv student looking forward to future PhD studies somewhere, Uh, but he's currently at Westminster Theological Seminary. It's great to have you on, Jason. Uh, Thanks, Ken. It's good to be on again. Yeah, he was back on with me a long time ago when we spoke with James White. Uh, That was probably a year ago or so, so I'm very pleased to have you back, Jason, and we're also looking forward uh, to the discussion ahead, we have with us Jeff Waddington, who is teacher of the congregation at Calvary OPC in Ringo's, New Jersey. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how you doing, Camden? It's good. good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, you're back on. I'd like to hear your voice, and I'd like to get your input on this subject today. We also have Nick Batzig, who is a church planter just outside Savannah, Georgia, in Richmond Hill. He's with the PCA. How are you doing, Nick? Good, Camden. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. It's good to hear your voice as well. And uh, we're very pleased today to be welcoming Tim Whitmer, who is the department coordinator and professor of practical theology. He also does all sorts of other things at Westminster Theological Seminary. He's also pastor at Crossroads Church in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much, Dr. Whitmer, for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. Camden, it's great to be with you today. Yeah, we're very excited. We had John Curry on last week. Uh, he's also a lecturer in the PT department at Westminster. And today we get to have Dr. Whitmer on because Dr. Whitmer has written a new book on shepherding, on uh, the shepherding ministry. And that is going to be out next week. And as for you who are listening, it is going to be out already. So you'll be able to order it as you hear this. The book is titled The Shepherd Leader. Achieving Effective Shepherding in Your Church, and we are looking forward to speaking about that today. But before we do that, I want to hand things over to Nick, who has a few big announcements, actually, and some conferences that are coming up. Thanks, Camden. I wanted to first mention that the Desiring God conference is going on right now. That's not going to That'll be over by the time this airs. Um, But there are a few other conferences coming up that our listeners may be interested in. Greenville Presbyterian is having their Nature and Sufficiency of Scripture conference March 9th through the 11th next month. Um, I believe um, their speakers are going to be. Somebody help me out because I'm going to forget some of this. I think (laughs) Mark Herzer is speaking there, um, as well as James White, Joey Piper. Um, Chad Van Dixhorn, David Murray. So that looks like that'll be a good conference. Yeah. Um, anybody in the Greenville area? Um, also, Ligonier's West Coast Conference, for those of you that listen in California, that will be March 26th and 27th. R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, um, Michael Horton, and a few others. So that looks like it'll be a good conference. Um, speaking of Chad Van Dixhorn, I, I know the blogosphere has kind of been blowing up with... Um, with a post about the release, uh, Reformation Heritage Books did a press release um, about Van Dixhorn's work being published, some of it being published um, with Reformation Heritage. And I think among the things that Jay Collier was telling me, they are going to publish for the first time ever um, 
a critical text of the Confession of Faith, Larger and Shorter Catechism. I think I'm correct in saying the catechisms as well, which um, has never been printed before. So this will be the um, the most raw form of the Westminster Standards ever published. So that's going to be pretty exciting, um, as well as they're going to do six monographs of um, – of different works written by certain divines that have not been published since the 17th century. So there's a lot of great stuff coming out, facsimiles of some works that have been republished, others that haven't. Um, And so we just want to encourage our listeners to be on the lookout for Reformation Heritage books, publications in accord with the Westminster Assembly Project and the work of Chad Van Dixorn. Mm. That's excellent. There's a lot of news right there and a lot of big things, and we are very much looking forward to the work that Chad Van Dixhorn has done, and that is going to be published by Reformation Heritage Books. And, uh, man, it's a great time to be a Presbyterian, isn't it? Mm. It is. And I think uh, Van Dixhorn is going to publish the minutes. Somebody correct me, but I've heard that it's going to be published with Oxford Press. That's, is that that's right? That's correct. It's something like five volumes. Is that, I believe that's the, the number. And I'm not sure if it's coming out in June or if he'll be finished in June, but but um, all the hard work is coming to an end pretty soon, and we're going to reap the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, speaking of Presbyterianism, uh, that transitions us nicely over into our discussion today. We're speaking about this new book, The Shepherd Leader, Achieving Effective Shepherding in Your Church by Dr. Tim Whitmer, who is Professor of Practical Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Whitmer, I, now I took your class on uh, the shepherding ministry about a year ago, and Jason, who's on the panel today, just took it, I believe, last semester. And uh, we yeah, very right. much enjoyed it. Uh, I liked it a lot, and I'm, I'm so— here. Well, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a good class, and it, I learned quite a bit, and I thought it was very effective and, and formative for me just as I looked at our church and as, at future pastoral ministry. Well, now, as, you. as we get, you're welcome. As we get started, um, I would like just to ask you the the generic question of uh, why you wrote this book. Why why did you see a need uh, for this book, The Shepherd Leader? It actually grew out of my doctoral work uh, that I did at RTS some years ago. I was um, trying to determine what my dissertation was going to focus on. And I originally thought that I was going to focus on outreach because the ministries I had been involved in were deeply dependent on that, a church planter, a church planting work, and then a church revitalization work. But then I began to realize that um, in both of those settings, the church would grow, but then it would get to a certain number, and then we would still receive new members, but people would be going out the back door. And so what came to mind to me was the fact that uh, there was something missing. And what was missing was the fact that biblical elders uh, were not taking seriously their responsibility to shepherd and care and oversee the flock. And actually, what led me to write the book, I, of course, threatened to do it for many years, but (laughs) in that class that you all took, uh, you remember, we always do an interview project where I send you all out right. and interview church leaders. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I actually focused the interview questions on the matter of shepherding. And so when the students came back to give their reports, 
uh, I'd say out of about 25 churches represented in those reports, only three or four had anything that looked like a shepherding plan. And it was just that motivation, plus obviously my, my heart's convictions about what the Bible teaches about the work of the elder that led me to do the work of putting this into print. And I'm very thankful that it's going to be out there now. Mm. And when we speak of shepherding ministry, could you describe just some of the basic things that are involved in shepherding? And also, um, is this just another program that a church could do, just something that they pick up, or is it something different? No. Um, when I talk about shepherding, I believe it is a at the very fundamental root of what the office of elder is about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's reinforced uh, uh, both by Paul and by Peter uh, in terms of the New Testament evidence, but also the broad categories. And so I think that the the work of the elder is the work of, of shepherding, as Paul reminded the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and as Peter reminded the elders in First Peter chapter 5 uh, for a couple examples. But So I think it's basically a fundamental matrix or framework for understanding the nature and the function of the work of the elder. So it would include uh, knowing the flock, establishing that relational um, dynamic between elder and member. It would require feeding the flock, uh, making sure that there's a holistic ministry of the word both corporately and personally to the people, leading the flock. And I think that's where, when most people think, especially in our circles, think about the work of the elder, they think about leading. They Mm -hmm. think about decision-making. They think about sitting in a meeting once a month. Uh, But they don't think about the dynamic, relational uh, groundwork that has to be laid with the sheep and caring for the sheep. And then finally, protecting the flock as well. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are the very helpful four main categories you bring up in the class about what the shepherd should do. And I think it's an excellent paradigm, uh, an excellent short description of what the biblical teaching is on the, on the shepherding office, on the, the 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 office of elder, whether that be ruling elder or teaching elder or pastor and elder, depending on your your view of office. There, two and a half or three. Um, now, what, what actually does pastor mean, and how does that actually relate to being a shepherd? And how does the pastor go about knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting his sheep? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, pastor is from the Latin word for shepherd. So um, I believe, as we look at the dynamic between pastor and elder, I believe the pastor is the uh, the elder who has the specific gifts and calling to lead the teaching and preaching ministry of the Church. And so, as many have said, I therefore think that the, uh, the, the pastor or teaching elder is the primus inter pares, the first among equals, mm. among the leadership team. But I think the scriptures are clear that there's a parity, there's um, a, a partnership in leading the congregation in shepherding the flock, which is shared uh, by 
the elders of the church, whether they be ruling elders or teaching elders. And perhaps one of the things that this leads to practically is that many times pastors are looked to as the primary shepherds of the flock. And, uh, okay, first among equals, that's true, but if if their fundamental role due to their giftedness and calling is in feeding the flock through the ministry of the Word, then it actually leads logically to the fact that the other elders should be carrying uh, quite a significant load of that personal relational shepherding the flocks of the pastor mm-hmm. will have more time to minister the Word. Mm. Yeah, that's natural. And off, too often the, the pastors look also by default looked at as sort of the CEO <laughs> or, right, right. or rather, that's that's uh, that's not at all the Presbyterian model here. Can I can I jump in here, for please, a uh, Doctor Whitmer? You, I believe. Uh, now, I took the course ten years ago or more. Wow! Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a time flies, doesn't it? Uh, it you, sure does. <laughs> you assigned, I think, the book on the uh, ruling elder by uh, Samuel Miller. Do you still do that? Yes, yes, I uh, do. That is a, it struck me as a wonderful model. Uh, in terms of, if I remember correctly, he taught about uh, uh, divvying up the congregation. That may not sound yeah. great. But that that's the kind of idea the pastor and the uh, the elders would be visiting uh, certain members of families of a congregation. So a congregation, say, has a hundred people, and you have four ruling elders. So you have the teaching elder, pastor, and the ruling elder uh, visiting uh, twenty-five families per elder or something like that. And I always, I adopted that kind of uh, uh, practice in one of the churches where I was serving and found it was, it was an excellent way of pastoring the congregation. Can you share some more about what Miller uh, had taught and how that has uh, helped you in, in, in a more contemporary Mm. uh, teaching of, of the principles? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think, thanks for that question. And for the kind words about the course. Um, (laughs) I think that, um, yeah, Miller definitely gives us a, a model worth following today inasmuch as he saw the value of the work of the ruling elder. Mm. Uh, he saw not only the value of the work of the ruling elder, but also the work of the deacons in uh, assisting the elders in their work among the people. Uh, this is actually uh, to be distinguished from Baxter, who, uh, while we obviously rejoice in his commitment to his flock there in Kidderminster, basically did it all himself. Yeah. <laughs> and it's as we, we see the development, particularly in Scottish Presbyterianism, of the, uh, the value uh, and the biblical role of the ruling elder, that... Um, we see this partnership in the work, and Samuel Miller definitely brought that uh, emphasis to bear, and bringing that right through to the um, to the present day. That model is certainly one worth replicating. In as much as if the elders are shepherds, then they should be given. Um, the flock should basically be delegated out among the eldership so that there can be that partnership and caring for the flock. Mm. And it is a shared, a shared uh, 
burden and really a shared privilege to care for the flock in that way. Now, how have you gone about divvying up the flock in your church? I, th- I think people would be interested to know your method, and uh, uh, and uh, I'd, I'd be curious to have you share that with our listeners. Okay, I'd be glad to. Well, as you know, there are many different approaches to this. Some churches would uh, delegate the flock uh, by geographic area. Others would do it, they would say, well, we'll do it by small groups or whatever. But I believe uh, in the elder draft method. <laughs> so that, yeah, <laughs> so that uh, the elders actually um, would go through the list of members. And this is a very important principle as well. Uh, in the book, I have seven elements of an effective shepherding plan. And uh, one of the keys is that the the model be comprehensive. And what I mean by that is that every member of the church is included in the shepherding plan. Mm-hmm. But if you ask some people, well, how do you shepherd your flocks? They'll say, well, we do it through our small groups. And my next question is, yeah. well, how many of your members are in small groups? <laughs> and they'll usually say, well, between 50, 60% or something like that. Well, that's pretty good. But what's my next question? Well, how do the other people get shepherded? And I've actually had uh, some folks say that, well, if they want to be shepherded, they'll be in a small group. Mm. That's just wrong, because it puts the burden on the wrong place. Right. So uh, it's important for uh, elders to take the whole membership role and actually work through that together and actually draft members whom they would like to shepherd. And the reason for that is that there's, there are natural connections uh, between elders and certain members that should be nurtured and provide the proper foundation for uh, the shepherding ministry uh, of the elder. Now, there are going to be those who are more difficult to um, to draft, so to speak, because no one might know them very well, but nonetheless, we start with those natural connections that already exist. And then you naturally are going to end up probably with an equal distribution of those that are more difficult to minister to, yeah, whether that's true. whether because you don't know them or just naturally have more difficult uh, circumstances in their life. So you actually go about, just to spell this out for people, drafting congregants as you would draft players in a fantasy football league. <laughs> it's a more, right. more uh, mundane way to describe it, but uh, each, each, uh, each elder gets his turn, so... You go one, two, three, four, and after all the elders right. have chosen, you do it again until all the members are taken. Yeah, and it really doesn't take that long. You know, people might hear that and say, "Oh no, this is a burdensome task," but it really doesn't take that long. The harder thing is, is uh, you know, making sure the membership roles are clear and an accurate reflection of of who's there. Yeah, that's always a difficult thing uh, with any church, and oftentimes you have people that have been on the rules for years and years and have moved away a long time ago or haven't attended anywhere and no one's followed up on them. And that leads me to my next question for you is how do you keep tabs on, on your people? Um, I know you, you try to keep attendance or at least you notice, and then you actually keep records of if people are at the church, not, not to try to be the taskmaster, the taskmaster, but just so that you notice people and you're able to follow up on them. Is that correct? Uh, that is that is correct, and basically, um, one of the commitments that I think is important is um, 
regular contact between elders and their sheep. Mm. And speaking about how to address that, um, I think many congregations and many leaders limit themselves to uh, a visitation program. Uh, that's not bad, but I would suggest that those visits are not often enough to to be effective to effectively establish the relational dynamic between the elder and the member. And so I advocate using that invention we call the telephone <laughs> as a means to provide um, regular. Our elders actually are committed to contact their sheep every month in a dedicated shepherding phone call. And when some people hear that, they think that, well, gee, we uh, identify phone calls with uh, telemarketers and political campaigns. <laughs> but there is a difference when someone's calling you. Well, for example, let me give you this, this uh, anecdote here. Uh, my dentist, when I go to see my, my dentist, um, he calls me at home in the evening to see if I'm okay. Really? And whenever I get yes, oh. <laughs> whenever I get that phone call, I am shocked, and I say, "Honey, guess who that was?" And she says, "I don't know who." And I say, "It was Doctor Markowitz. He was calling to see how I'm doing." And I don't think we can underestimate, you know, the impact of uh, a phone call that's that's made for our own well-being and our own good. Sure. So, and I, I guess the piece about that is that if you miss one month then the longest you'll go without contacting someone is two months. Yeah. But if you're into a program of annual visitation and you miss yeah. a year... It could be two years, yeah. <laughs> it could be two years. And uh, back to your other comment, I just want to lay the foundation for that in terms of how we maintain that ongoing uh, personal contact with the members. We do, we do think it's important to to monitor our members' involvement in public worship. When our members join the church, they make a commitment to support the worship and work of the church to the best of their abilities. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing this research many years ago, I asked the question of dozens of pastors, uh, I asked the question, what's the first evidence of a straying sheep? And the number one evidence that they all, well, let, let's say 95% identified, was a change in attendance patterns. Yeah. And the question then was, well, are we in a position to notice if people's attendance patterns change? And so I advocate that part of a good oversight, actually one of the words for elder in the New Testament, overseer, episkopos, is a, a visual word. And one of the things that we can do, uh, literally, is to watch out and see if there's a change in their attendance patterns. And different churches do that in different ways. They do it with with pew pads or uh, tear-off um, slips from the, the programs or bulletins. But again, we use a uh, what we call a uh, the shepherd's view sheet. Mm-hmm. The eyeball approach, if you will, where we actually we actually uh, have a role of our members, and we we just keep track, and so we know if there's a change in their patterns from from week to week, and that's reported to the elders. 
And don't you just get together right after the service and just ask each other, hey, did you see so-and-so? Did you see so-and-so? And then to go go through and check right off the list? <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a there's a board in one of our offices that has that list. And because we have two services, the uh, the staff, the pastoral staff involved on the platform uh, in both services do the, the bulk of that checking uh, because we can see who's there from the platform and also right. see... Uh, who who greets us as we as we uh, say farewell at the end of the service, and I would suggest that that's probably ninety eight percent accurate yeah. Yeah. between the two or three people who are doing that. It's just little things like that that can help you keep keep an eye on your on your sheep better. And now, what happens if you notice somebody missed a service or missed two services? What what would you recommend in doing in order to uh, keep up with a good healthy uh, contact and relationship with the sheep. Okay. The, first of all, that information is provided to the elders of the church. Um, and remember that the, the elders have a natural vehicle of conversation and communication with the members through their monthly call. And so if there's a change in the attendance pattern. They've already got that uh, natural means of contact. <laughs> you know, if you ask most people, most churches, when do you usually hear from your elders? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> They're going to say, you know, if there's a discipline problem or if they want money. <laughs> and, and that's that's kind of an awkward thing just to be hearing personally from an elder when there's a problem or a need. Yeah. But when you set up a regular cycle of visitor of a member contact, rather, you've got a natural vehicle to address these kinds of things so that if there's a change in the attendance pattern, for example, the elder in his monthly call can reference that and say, hey, uh, Harry, I've noticed that, uh, you know, you've been missing for the last couple of weeks. Is everything okay? And mm-hmm. Harry will say, oh, yep, everything's fine. We were just under the weather for a week and out of town the next week. Or you might actually be heading off a problem early in the uh, in the in the process by mm-hmm. having that opportunity. So that's why the more frequent contact is so important in my mind. Those things are now, helpful. Exactly. Um, I I just had two of my elders over last night. They came for their yearly visit, and uh, it's oh, a good. yeah. I mean, it was a blessing. And and when it's a regularly scheduled thing. Um, you know, only being yearly in, in our in our case, a, a monthly call would be much more effective. But when you know it's just a regular thing, you don't have this nervousness necessarily or this, um, this you know, anxiety over having the elders over because you don't necessarily expect them to be trying to bring up some big issue. They just want to check on you and ask you how you're doing, ask you for input about the church and the, and the session and all sorts of things. It's very natural and healthy thing and you can actually speak about issues out in the open and it doesn't have to be some really th- really nasty thing you have to get anxious about but when the when the shepherds do their job and they do it continuously and regularly yes. it becomes kind of just natural and it's it's just the body of Christ uh, working together and it doesn't have to be some official or sanitary type meeting well, what right, I was right. what I was thinking of was that this what this requires is uh, both formal and informal communication and interaction, right? Yeah. What we're saying yeah. is that the life of the church and the congregation requires both 
Um, and I was going to just, I was just going to comment that uh, when my, my family and I were members at Calvary Glenside OPC, uh, we had our visits and we were, uh, impressed with the way that uh, at that point the pastor was Reverend uh, Troxell and mm-hmm. uh, the elder uh, David Burkett uh, who came to visit us. One they that did, came to visit uh, me last night along with Daryl, <laughs> Daryl Hart. They did, a, did a, 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 a wonderful job. And now you, you have to understand that I had served as a pastor for eight years in another denomination. So I was, you know, paying attention to this. I Not with a critical eye, but just as fascinated with how they would do, do the the pastoral visit, and uh, I was impressed with the fact that the scripture and prayer was up front. Yep. At the rather than at the end when we we've, we've talked ourselves out. Or right? both. You can do them both. Right. You can do yeah. both. But I I was just impressed that they they did that. And then, but anyways, it's important that there be communication, both the the formal process and very important. I think that we 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 stress the informal communication, which makes the formal less uh, scary. Uh, there's a sense in which what we're talking about is a discipline in its more than a punishment sense, right? But discipline yeah. in, the, in a healthy uh, regimen, spiritual regimen. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so and what I the way I like to describe that is uh, anybody who's in ministry understands that the sheep will require your attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just a question of whether your attendant your attention is going to be primarily on the proactive. Um, caring side or yeah. the reactive discipline side. That's a good and point. Right. The uh, you know the, my contention is that the more time that we spend in the proactive caring side, well, we'll be able to head off some of those reactive situations that may arise before right. they're too late. Um, and and the people will notice, and they'll be more likely to to come to us with their problems as well if there's a relationship actually established. Yeah. Right. Right. And that that's just healthy. It's just good for everybody. Yeah. And it's more right. rewarding as an elder too, uh, rather than getting emotionally drained all the time with dealing with discipline issues or people leaving, all these other things. How much more of a joy is it to to be proactive and to try to help and minister to people um and, and try to help actually prevent any further difficult counseling issues or all these other things that can arise when we don't tend to the sheep. Yeah, that's right. And I think that that raised another important issue in terms of how we actually um, introduce people in our churches to the whole subject of discipline. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in many new member classes, uh, rightly so, uh, new members, prospective members, are introduced to the three marks of, the, of a true church. You know, the ministry um, of, of the Word and uh, discipline and the sacraments. sacraments. Mm-hmm. And and so the new members are sitting there, and they hear, you know, you come to this church, you're going to get disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, we need to put that in its shepherding context. Right. And I think the way to do that is just to, to tell prospective members that we take, uh, the leadership in this church takes their shepherding responsibility seriously. And what that means is that we're going to take uh, responsibility in the Lord, to be your under-shepherds, to, to care for you, to, to minister the Word to you, to provide leadership for you. But also, we understand our biblical responsibility as under-shepherds is that if you as a sheep stray, we're not going to 
let you get lost and wander away. We're going to come after you. And I always say that with a smile on my face. Yeah. We're going to come after you. And that's, that's really the biblical context for the whole concept of discipline. It's not, uh, it's that the picture of the shepherd leaving the 99 to retrieve and rescue the one. That's the picture that we want to convey to our people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Woodmer, at um, Crossroads, how do you go about that? Is that part of a new members class, or how do you introduce that to your new members? Yes, that's that's part of the new member orientation, um, so that they understand that at Crossroads, we take the uh, the leadership takes the concept of shepherding seriously. Uh, and as a matter of fact, one of the things that we do when our when we receive new members. On a Sunday morning, we have them stand and, of course, make their affirmations of um, the membership commitments. But then I turn to the congregation. I ask the elders to stand, and I say to you, as the under-shepherds of this congregation, now undertake your responsibility to care for these who have now placed themselves under your care. And they say yes, and it's it's an amazing moment because you've just heard the sheep say, we submit to the government and discipline of the church. And then you've heard the shepherds respond and say, yes, we're going to, to care for you. It's really amazing. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to ask, as a church planter, I have some fairly unique difficulties because um, I have individuals coming on a sporadic basis, sometimes maybe coming one, once every 12 weeks. Um, and as we look to do new membership class and we're a brand new church um, with no members, um, how would you approach a couple who wanted to join a church but was obviously not regularly attending? What advice would you have for a man in my position, for instance? Um, we are going to do new members class. And I know that'll give me a chance to address things, but do you have any particular advice in that situation with a couple that is not coming um, very regularly and obviously won't come regularly, even if they join, but who want to join? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I'd want to know why they're unable to come regularly. Um, Do you know why that is the case, or are we talking about an abstract... uh, Oh, I mean, it might, yeah, golf, you know, it could be any number oh. of things. <laughs> oh, golf. Well, I, I, would, um, <laughs> I would have a long talk with them and really describe the commitments of a, of a church member, not just a church member, but of, but, uh, of a Christian. Right, right. To, right. Um, and obviously they're not going to... Um, let, me cl- let me make one clarification. They are a member... Of a PCA oh. church, currently, okay. which and they complicates want to transfer to your church. Yes. Hmm. Well, I would again. I, I think I would just sit down with them and, and talk to them about what their commitment to Christ means to them, and that uh, membership. When the person becomes a membership of a PCA church, they make very serious commitments, and I would challenge them to. Um, to reconsider as they come to your church, uh, stepping up those commitments. Right. Mm. That's that's helpful. Right. Thank you. Yeah. 
Now, um, Nick obviously has a, he's in a certain context being a church planter, but you also have a very uh, specific context, uh, not because your church is a church plant, but could you describe a little bit about your church and the members that come and what makes it a very uh, interesting and, and unique place? Oh, Crossroads Church is a, is a, a, really, a really great place to be. Uh, I've been there for 23 years now. Mm. And Upper Darby, the actual neighborhood in which we minister, is one of the most ethnically diverse communities in the whole United States with um, uh, dozens of languages and nations represented. And in fact, um, a few weeks ago, we received a new member from Trinidad, Tobago. Mm. And that new member now brings our number of uh, countries represented by first-generation immigrants to 18. Mm. Uh, so who says office. Presbyterians can't minister in multicultural settings? Anyway, who says that? I know. <laughs> I certainly don't say that. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just really been a great thing to see. And and now, over the course of time, you know, it, it took several years for the Church actually to, um, to reflect the diversity of the community. And it even took longer for the leadership of the church to reflect that diversity. But now we see that diversity in our leadership, uh, our elders and our deacons, as well as in our membership. And it, it truly is a wonderful place to serve. Mm, that's wonderful. And another question I have for you, um, anyone who's hung around with you for any amount of time knows your position on this issue, but what about elder terms and the the very nature of being an elder and the office? Uh, could you just speak to that and share with us your opinions on the subject? Well, I think you're referring to um, my view of term eldership. Yeah. Um, I I think it's an oxymoron to uh, <laughs> to consider a set number of elders or a set number of years. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, Amen. I don't see any scriptural support for it. Um, the only argument that I've heard for the class system consistently is, uh, okay, so you ask somebody the question, well, why do you have term eldership? And the answer you'll hear more often than any other answer is because it's easier to get rid of a bad elder. That's what I've heard. That's yeah. exactly it. Because because they rotate off. Now, that's not a very good argument, is it? It's certainly not a biblical argument. Uh, what, what's the flip side of that, though? Right. But what's the flip side of that? Well, the flip side is that, hey, uh, I think the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And when yeah. someone is called to serve, as, if they're gifted and called to serve as an elder, um, they're going to be serving in that way uh, as long as God allows them to do so. Yeah, and the term eldership gets rid of them too. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah, that is the flip side. The yeah, it's exactly right. The the class system gets rid of the good elders too. Yeah. yeah. How how would you feel about a via media about having like a sabbatical for lifelong elders so every seven years, not just the teaching elder but the uh, ruling elders not all in the same year, obviously, would get yeah. a um, sabbatical. I think that's I think that's a great idea, and that's what that's the policy we have in our church, where uh, an officer can take a year off 
from certain responsibilities. An officer can take a year off from, from meetings and other kinds of committee responsibilities um, after six years. But even in that seventh year, the shepherding relationship continues. Right. So right. the continuity in shepherding will remain uh, ongoing. And I'd say there's one of the key arguments against the whole class system. How can you possibly maintain any continuity in, in a shepherding relationship with this dramatic change in um, in eldership leadership every right. three years? Yeah. Right. And now, have you actually found people taking up the sabbatical offer in your church? Not very often. <laughs> no, there. <laughs> of course, I don't remind them of it very often. <laughs> But uh, no, they they uh, they love their they love their people. They love the flock. In fact, uh, um, uh, I'll let you know that the book is dedicated to the both to the officers um, of Crossroads Church who faithfully shepherd the flock, and also dedicated to my son who, as I say, shepherded his troops through yeah. the valley of the shadow of death and yeah, operated Iraqi freedom. Yeah, yeah. But, his son. Uh, uh, just to share with you, won I believe the Bronze Star, right? That is correct. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so it's it's uh, nothing nothing to shake your nose at. It's a he's quite a hero. So uh, yeah, I enjoy the the stories you shared with us and and the description of of his award and how he won it. It was very moving and uh, something we can learn from just as as pastors and elders ourselves. Now, um, what about false shepherds? Uh, you you assign several readings, and we read several larger portions of Scripture. Uh, we read a biblical theology of shepherding uh, from right. the IVP series, uh, and right. um, we speak a lot about that. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Ezekiel 37, I believe, or 34. I might be getting yeah, 34, right. um, yes. and others. Uh, what what is the shepherd not supposed to do? Sometimes it's more helpful to 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 uh, get a description of what we are supposed to do by comparing right. it to what we're not supposed to do. What do false shepherds do, and uh, and what is a false shepherd? Well, uh, Ezekiel 34, you know, former professor Ray Dillard here used to talk about the texts that terrify. Yeah, and right. I think Ezekiel 34 is one of those texts that should be very sobering to to any leader in the Church, because it's, it's an indictment uh, against the elders of Israel, who at that time were then experiencing the condemnation, the exile for the sinfulness of, of the people. And, well, basically it, it takes those shepherding functions upside and turns them upside down so that the shepherds don't feed the flock at all, but rather they feed on them. Yeah, they eat them. Mm. For their own benefit. They don't uh, protect the flock at all, but they, the sheep are... Um, game for wolves and uh, and lions, and they don't seek the sheep, and so the sheep are lost and scattered. Uh, and basically, it is, it is a, a self-centered view of leadership, which, of course, biblically speaking, is, is, is wrong, mm-hmm. because our view of leadership is always servant leadership. And, you know, you can make a connection with what Jesus says in John chapter 10 uh, about the shepherds who are false shepherds because they're hirelings. You know, they're not, they don't love the sheep, they're not committed to the sheep, and so uh, the, the sheep are not well treated, and the sheep are 
wounded, scattered, and without care. But of course, the other part of Ezekiel 34, <laughs> the great part is that the promise that God is going to care for his flock and that Jesus, um, the messianic shepherd, is going to come and provide the complete, perfect, comprehensive care where even human shepherds fall short. Yeah. But I think that's a warning to a good warning for all elders to reflect on there in Ezekiel 34, just to think about how significant our responsibility is in caring for the flock. Mm -hmm. Dr. Whitmer, I wanted to ask a question more focused on worship, but certainly related. Um, How do you encourage, do you encourage your members um, to come to both services morning and evening, and do you tie that into the vows that they took to uphold the the work and worship of the church? Uh, We definitely encourage our people to um, support the public worship uh, services of the church, and that is viewed to be a part of of their membership commitment. Now, our church, in all honesty, um, experiences the same challenge that that many churches do that that most people most people are there Sunday mornings and for you know a variety of reasons um, do not return on Sunday night they might be involved actually have other ministries going on Sunday nights as well mm-hmm. that uh, that some are involved and particularly children's ministries are happening um, at the same time which some might not right. like but <laughs> That's, in our particular context, the the best way for us to approach that. But I'd say our emphasis is our emphasis is encouraging people to get out on the Lord's Day, preferably um, in the morning. But because we have a large immigrant population, there are uh, many of them who uh, who have to work in the morning for some reason or another, and they, they come on to the Sunday evening service. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we definitely encourage our people to keep their membership vows and to uh, come to the public worship of God, and also to be involved in ministry in some way. That's another important thing that we, we try to stress with them. Yeah, right. Well, people have been gifted. God has gifted all believers, and uh, we ought to be serving in the body and in one way yeah. or the other, however that looks for each gifted person. Uh, Dr. Wimmer, you brought up uh, other ministries, so I'm just curious with the shepherding plan that you have in place there at Crossroads, what is that oversight of the different ministries, especially if they have a lay leader, and so how does that work out with this uh, shepherding plan in place at Crossroads? With the uh, different ministries? Yeah, do, yeah, do uh, different elders take oversight of the ministries, too? I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Okay. I think if you if you looked at the different ministries of our church, you would see that uh, elders are leading most of them, um, okay. not all of them, but obviously all ministries are under the oversight, if not immediately and directly by a single elder, under the oversight of uh, of the elders as the leading body of the of the congregation. But most of the ministries, uh, definitely, we would say, are are led by led by elders, but not all of them. And uh-huh. that's a good thing because there are there are many many gifted people who are not officers in the church who are leading ministries as well. 
Now, before I uh, before we have to let you go uh, because of our our general time constraints, I wanted uh, to speak to you about the PT department at Westminster in general. Oh, we great. just spoke with yep. John Curry last week, uh, who is a lecturer in practical mm-hmm. theology, teaches the, uh, many of the preaching courses. You likewise teach the the first preaching course, and then teach many other courses, such as the one we're speaking about today. Uh, what is your philosophy and the school's philosophy? regarding practical theology, and, should I ask, are the rumors true? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope the word on the street is changing, because I think, uh, actually, my inaugural lecture to full professor here was uh, entitled, Seminary, A Place to Prepare Pastors? Mm-hmm. And my answer to that question is, is yes, and I would say that... Um, Westminster has an increasingly holistic picture of ministerial formation, and uh, we have we're having conversations as a faculty about uh, what that looks like. Uh, not merely taking a uh, just a merely academic picture of ministerial formation, but the holistic picture, including you know character, um, competence, uh, giftedness, things like that. But in terms of our department, uh, if it were up to me, the motto of the seminary would be shaping shepherds for Christ's flock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's, that's really what we're trying to do. We, we have uh, tried to fit the PT curriculum into that, that template to, to show how we are um, concertedly shaping shepherds uh, in the ministry of the Word, teaching them to feed the flock, and um, teaching them to lead in other courses, etc. So I'm very encouraged. I've always thought that Westminster had the best biblical and theological training in the world, and it was left to PT to catch up. I think we're catching up. Mm. Great. And what, what about the minist- Well, I <laughs> want to ask you about the the ministerial formation and some of the yeah. other things. Uh, I, I know I've spoken with a couple friends at other seminaries, and they were surprised at the requirements laid upon me to get an MDiv. Uh, what are some of the things that you require the MDiv that some people might be uh, surprised about? Hmm, what they might be surprised about. Well, uh, I think that the mentored ministry is is a very, very important piece of what we do. Sure. In, in as much as being involved in, in ministry in the local church while engaged in seminary training is hard, but... In, in every single student's life, I believe it's true that it's through that experience in the Church that they truly get their gifts and calling uh, strengthened. And I think that's, I think that's a, a key. Well, what, is that, what is involved in that, and, and how many hours of mentored ministry do you require? Okay. Uh, MDiv students are required to do 400 hours of mentored ministry. 400 400 hours. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Sounds like a lot. But in, in the course of three or four years, it's it's not so bad. No, no. Yeah. And getting connected with a, a mentor in a local church to get experience in preaching and leading and uh, other elements of ministry, a uh, very, very important piece of, of what students do here. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, for one, found my, my internship, which counted towards my hours, uh, tremendously beneficial, and I'm glad that 
some of my preaching courses and other PT courses came after my internship mm. because I'm, I find myself learning a lot more and the, the content and the subject of the classes uh, is, is relevant in a sense. I always was interested in it, but now when I hear you and, and, that, and Mr. Curry teaching, it, it's, it's as if, uh, oh, wow, a light has been turned on. You know, this, this really uh, is important to listen to. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> so I don't know, Jeff, what have you found in terms of your, uh, your uh, taking PT courses and being involved in the church? Did you, or Nick? Or well, I was, I was going to say, uh, I, when I came to the courses uh, with Dr. Whitmer, uh, I had already served for eight years uh, in a Wesleyan denomination. And that, I think, really was to my benefit. To, to, I mean, to have that background so that it, as he was teaching, uh, I could compare and contrast my own experience, uh, which I wouldn't have been able to do uh, right. had I not had that background to, to, to do the comparison and contrast. And I enjoyed the, the courses I had with Dr. Whitmer, and that's not I'm not just trying to uh, butter my t- toast or whatever. But, butter uh, your toast? Uh, it's it really, uh, it, you were, <laughs> you like that? You really were a very effective uh, communicator, and I I could tell that you were uh, getting this from your own, not only from uh, uh, rigorous study, but also from the the life of your congregation. Your your congregation really became a, uh, what's the word I want to use? Not a guinea pig. That's not the, uh, oh, oh, laboratory. Case study. Uh, Laboratory. He smells like his sheep. And that's, yeah. that's, it's, it's a good thing. And it's useful when you're teaching PT yeah, to smell like your sheep. I mean, it's important. You know, well, that's very encouraging. Thanks. Yeah. Camden, I wanted to say that while I didn't go to Westminster, I went to Greenville. We had a lot of um, oh, yeah. practical theology. Absolutely. And have some was, excellent teachers there. You know, I was very active in churches. I tried to preach as much as I could. I tried to do other ministries. I did two summers at the Boardwalk Chapel in Wildwood, New Jersey. And, that was um, indispensable training, yeah, right. I think. Um, and I, I actually, I was surprised how many guys in seminary preparing for pastoral ministry didn't um, want to do practical, um, hands-on ministry in school. And I understand that the challenge with the heavy academic load, especially at Westminster and Greenville and other academic schools, but um, I think it's indispensable. I think you have to have it. Yeah, it's important. Absolutely. Now, just uh, one last thing. Um, now, are you going to be attending the shepherding conference uh, out in California, or is are you just going to be attending in book form? I'm just attending in book form. Okay. Could I'm, you could I'm, you uh, describe or tell us a little bit about that conference and about the wonderful news you heard recently? Well, um, yes. Uh, you might well, your listeners might well be aware that John MacArthur has a shepherd's conference every year. And uh, basically, their elders review different materials that have come out, uh, I guess, over the past year or two, and they selected my book as one that's going to be distributed to all the attendees this year. So Mm. I'm very excited about that. Hopefully, That's several thousand, isn't it? uh, They, I think, ordered 3,500 copies. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's great. Oh. Yeah, so hopefully the cause of uh, the biblical cause of of shepherding elders will spread far and wide, even beyond our own constituencies. No, yeah, amen to that. It's it's so important in the shepherding ministry. Every church must do it. It's an imperative. It's not an option. That's why 
was trying to ask you or set you up earlier. This is not just some extra program that might be a good idea to tack onto your church. This is essential. And this is not an option. Um, Now it might, you know, the details are are different for each congregation, but hands down the elders and the pastor, everybody needs to be shepherding their flock. And if they're not, they're failing. They're not living up to their calling as an officer. And so, uh, those, this, this book is, is excellent. If you're going to the shepherd's conference, you're going to get a copy buy another one and hand it out to somebody and uh, take a look at this. <laughs> we want to promote this because, because it's, it's so important and, and people know the difference. People want to be shepherded and people know yeah. when they're not being shepherded and they know when they're being shepherded well, and it's a good thing. And so we want to encourage that as well and do what we can uh, to promote a good and healthy shepherding ministry not just in Presbyterianism, but in, in other in other walks or in other expressions of the faith yeah. as well. Right. Well, Dr. Whitmer, thank you so much for joining us. It's been uh, it's been our desire to have you on for a while now, so we're so excited to actually sit down and record with you. And uh, thank you so much, and thank you for your work, not only at Crossroads, but also at Westminster. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, well, you can check us out online at reformedforum.org. And there you can find links to uh, Nick's site, feedingonchrist.com, and all the other programs and things that we're doing on the Internet. Uh, And visit us there and send us a note. You can either send us a voicemail at 440-97-FORUM, or you can email us at mail at reformedforum.org. We thank you so much for listening, and we hope you join us again next time. Christ the Center.